0: What are things that, in our lives, uh, can be a discouragement to us, to people? What are things that can really, like, maybe feel defeating, can, uh, you know, cloud our sunny days? What are things that that you can share? What's that? You must have had a great Saturday. You must had a great Saturday. It was a pretty good Saturday. Traffic. Traffic, Okay traffic. Why, tra- why is traffic a discouragement? Because that was Friday night. That was Friday night for me. It was like, demand, else yeah. Selfish. Yeah. And you're, you're always mentally planning like, uh, I have to only go about a quarter mile. Like, why is it taking so long? So who designed these lights? Um, all of these things. So, all right. Traffic is a discouragement. What can be a discouragement? Okay, something, something medical, and and even you know something medical that's yeah that yeah, that can be a, a longer term event or even of a short term event like you were planning to do something and then you got sick and you had to like, cancel or something happened. So medical things can definitely be a discouragement. What else? Leaving the
1: house on Sunday morning to be on
0: time for church. <laughs> <laughs> what you, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'm trying to not repeat that and say that in the wrong way. So. Uh, so the, the getting getting out getting out of the house on time is that and the, clock, you know, the clock the clock clock management okay yeah, exactly. we'll just we'll just say that we're so okay okay so. <laughs> You got one more, Charlie. Okay. Coming home and the dog has dug up the yard again. Coming home and the dog has dug up the yard again. So, um, (laughs) overbearing boss. I hear that. Okay. Um, That happens. Or if you're a if you're a boss, employees that don't do their job, you know. Um, What What'd you say? Hey, you know what? the spring game, they won. They also lost, but <laughs> they play themselves if you don't know the spring game. Okay, so uh, so uh, continues. So a lot of things, you know, a lot of it can be again, you know, probably if we, if we kind of step back, you have this perception or you have this expectation and it's just not met in some sort of way. We could probably like boil it down to, to something like that. Um, and it can be a discouragement, especially how tightly we hold on to some of those things um, traffic and time management and all of those things you know missing out on something um, you know getting bad news like all of those things because we have in our minds you know what our plans are, but the Lord kind of changes our plans right and sometimes it 's hard to be like, "Oh well Lord, I guess this is you know really our, our response right should be like Lord, I guess what do you?" Why do you want me to be late to this thing? Or what are you trying to teach me through this? Or, you know, but unfortunately, we don't always think that way as we're trying to like muscle in through the next lane um, for, for what we're trying to do. So, last week we started uh, Acts chapter 11. We're going to talk about kind of the flip side of, of uh, the question that I asked. Um, and so, uh, news hit the Jewish brothers um, in Jerusalem that uh, Peter had preached the gospel. Uh, inside a Gentile's house, and so they reacted with criticism. They're like, how dare you? How can, you know, Peter? You, we heard that you went and ate with a Gentile, and so their customs. Um, and again, we looked at the fact that it wasn't. It wasn't that they shouldn't eat with somebody else. It, they were prohibited of eating. Uh, Gentile foods, or certain foods that Gentiles typically ate. I guess it's not like, you know, Gentiles could eat their food as well. But it was certain things that they didn't have those prohibitions that Jews were told, I don't want you to eat, You want I want you to be distinct from these other groups. And so on top of that, they had kind of laid, the Jewish leaders had laid kind of customs down to say, well, just don't eat with them. That'll keep you from, you know, inadvertently eating that food and becoming unclean. And so that custom had overshadowed the fact that people were responding to Christ. Because that's when Peter went, he preached the gospel, and they all responded. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And that really should have been the focus of, of what they were looking at. Um, and we know that even in our own hearts that we can do the same thing. We can look at people who, you know, worship Christ, but then say, yeah, but, you know, they do this. And, and, and not look at um, kind of the, the true thing that God is doing in their own hearts and so then we move to a group in Antioch. So that was there in, uh, Caesarea. And Peter was responding to the brothers in Jerusalem where the, you know, church had started to grow and flourish and the central leadership of the church is there. And then, uh, Luke goes up and kind of talks about this, uh, this city in Antioch and said that there are some people from different areas, uh, from Cyprus and, uh, some other places that had come and preached the gospel in Antioch. And so they, which is in southern, uh, Turkey, um, it's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and so the, the, the Christians' uh, leadership sends, the apostles send Barnabas up to find out if in this Gentile country, you know, the, the gospel had spread there. So news made its way to the brothers in Jerusalem, and uh, they said, alright Barnabas, I want you to go up and find out what that's all about. So we kind of, at the very end last week, uh, started talking about who Barnabas was. Um, What were some of the things? Remember his, his nickname? Son of Son of Encouragement, yeah. So his name was Joseph, but uh, you know he was called Barnabas, which actually means Son of a Prophet. But he was known as the Son of Encouragement, so it's kind of kind of interesting uh, to keep all that straight. But his nickname was Son of Encouragement. That word Encouragement is Paraclesis. I'm just kind of giving you the Greek term because we're going to see this term pop up in a c- couple different places. Um, and so the first time that we saw. Barnabas. What do we what did we hear about him? You guys remember first encounter? His name was mentioned. Who he was, where he was from, and it's something that he did. You guys remember what he did? He sold property. He sold property. Yeah. So this is the time that they're talking. You know, just kind of Luke says that everybody had all things in common. And in chapter four, verse thirty six, it says, "Thus Joseph." He was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which to, uh, which means son of encouragement. He's a Levite, a native of Cyprus. Verse 37, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And, uh, we kind of have that as a contrast to what is spoken of in the very next verse in chapter five, uh, which talks about Ananias and Sapphira, where they sold some land but withheld the money. And we know that, uh, the Lord judged them and, uh, they died. Uh, but that's where we see kind of Barnabas as a contrast to this Ananias and Sapphira being this selfish couple, where Barnabas sold some land, gave it away, and said, use it however you want. What was the second time that we found, uh, we heard of Barnabas? You guys remember that? Chapter 9. Encouraging, uh, What's that? Sticking up, for Paul. sticking up for Paul, yeah. So Saul had... Uh, had um, uh, had his road to Damascus experience, where he was uh, converted and uh, ended up coming back to Jerusalem after several years, um, escaped uh, Damascus. And uh, verse 9:26 says, "And when he had come to Jerusalem, so this is Saul, he attempted to join the disciples, And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so we see Barnabas like kind of sticking up for Saul. Like they were like kind of keeping Saul at arm's length. Because the last time they saw him in Jerusalem, he was attacking them and trying to drag them into jail. And that actually like, stood there while one of their brothers was stoned to death out in, in the public. And so they're like kind of keeping their arms length. But Barnabas is like, something's different about this guy. Something's changing. Like, Are you not hearing the message? And he kind of sticks up for him and says, no, no, no. Christ changed him. You know, almost had to remind them, like, don't you remember Christ changed you as well? Um, you know, and so it, had to, it stuck up for Saul uh, in that moment. And so, Barnabas being this kind of encourager and somebody who kind of stands with, uh, with Saul kind of like leads us to what we're going to see today is really like this, this encouraging the church. Um, so, I kind of ask things about what discourages you. What are things that encourage you? What are things that can be an encouragement to you? Scripture can be an encouragement to you. Why is that? It is. <laughs> It fills in the blanks. What is Scripture? God's Word. God's Word, okay. So, in some sense, just hearing truth, right, maybe even in the noise of, like, all the things that we're we're not quite sure what is true or what's not true in the messages we hear around her. we know for sure that what we see in in the Word of God is truth, for better or for worse. When we say, I say, for better or for worse, sometimes it makes us change and we have to be like, ah, okay, Um, because we know that that is our standard. What's that? It brings us comfort as well. That's a great word. That's a great word that you used. Who else was spoken of as the, the comforter? You remember John, the Holy Spirit. That word, son of encouragement, is Paraclesis. That the the comforter is parakaleo, which is the same same word. Uh, so encouragement means to give comfort or help. Uh, in John, he ta- you know it's translated often as helper or sometimes comforter, and so that's the same word that was kind of described as. Uh, was was a description for Barnabas. All right, what else uh, brings you encouragement? Just creation. Just creation. <laughs> okay, it's kind of a kind of can be an encouraging time. There are times that you know, like just the environment kind of feels depressing. Um, what's that? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> Not, the weeds. Not the weeds. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we have to toil and work and, and bring them under submission. Uh, and in What's that? Brothers and in Our brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay. Our children. How about the Lord Himself? The Lord Himself.
1: And often, in at least in my life, you know, the Lord causes things to happen that I know only happen from God's hand, and it's nice to be able to look back and see how God's hand. Has, you can trace God's hand throughout your life. <laughs> And he, you know, often does just, you know, big things, and he does like these small things, just kind of like, you know, I'm here. Mm-hmm. You
0: know. Yeah, and, and those things attest to us, right, that, that God does exist. Yes. Um, it's those reminders that we're not just believing in something, um, you know, that uh, we don't believe in a God that is not <laughs> want to be a part of our lives, and he. Exactly. He exactly, he's active. That's a great way to great way to put that. And so, there's a lot of things that you know we can think about that are encouragement. It could be small things, right? You know, sometimes just somebody saying something to you. It could be just you know uh, you know uh, meeting a friend that you haven't seen in a while, and you know, it just could be an encouragement to to kind of you know rekindle a relationship, things like that. Um, and that God uses those things to kind of you know. Breathe, you know, maybe air into us to give wind to our sails to kind of keep us going ahead and pushing ahead, um, sometimes in those headwinds of discouragement that often we face, like the things that we had kind of talked about. So, in verse uh, 23 of, of Acts chapter 11, we'll pick up uh, what uh, Barnabas's travels. And verse 23 says, When he, so this is Barnabas, when he came, You know, when, when, when Peter first came to the Gentile household, he's like, why did you bring me here? Now, he knew that the Lord was preparing him and sent him, you know, sent these men to come get him in Joppa and go up to uh, Cornelius' house. Um, when Barnabas came, you know, so he, he kind of wanted to, he, he kind of wanted to be measured in like, you know, finding out why he was sent for and things like that, and then preach. Now, when Barnabas came, he saw something that was just obvious to him, and it says he responded a particular way. How does it say that he responded? What was his attitude? What was his heart? Was it skepticism? He rejoiced. <laughs> he rejoiced yeah. So it says he was glad, in the ESV, uh, it's a word for joy, or he you know, produced joy, re- rejoice. And so that was his, his uh, attitude when he came. He didn't come with skepticism. He came to investigate and find out what happened. And when he, when he saw what happened, how the, you know, the, the, the uh, brothers and sisters in Antioch um, were living and what they were saying, that he responded with joy. And what did then he tell them? How did he respond to them? What's that? Barnabas. So Barnabas in verse 23. Did I say say Paul? What's that? So exhorted them to remain faithful, to remain steadfast. Uh, That term is purpose in their heart to stay to the Lord. So I know what God is doing, and Barnabas says, I just want to encourage you to remain in the path that you are on. Why did he need to do that? Why do you think he needed to say that? Why do you think you need to exhort him? Well, first of all, that's his name. That's his name. Okay. Barnabas means encourager. Okay. Barnabas means encourager. So He was living up to his... He was living. So he's like, there's nothing else I can do but encourage you. That's what. (laughs) The Lord admonishes us to, or exhorts us to, continue to encourage one another, as Paul wrote, just as you already doing. Okay. Now, why is that? Why is that good encouragement? Why is that good? Good advice for a believer. Okay. Okay. When we get bogged down on sin, what do we focus on? We focus on ourselves. Okay. And so he says, you know what? I just whatever you're going to face, because this is brand new. This is brand new in an area in Antioch. It's a big city. Um, You know. You're you're not you know you're gonna get you're gonna get fire from a lot of different people you're gonna get uh, come under fire maybe from other Gentiles but maybe not as much as you're gonna come under fire from uh, Jewish uh, the Jews um, but you're also gonna maybe come under fire we're gonna see this by some of the Jewish Christians Um, and so we'll see what some of the pressure is and so he says you know I am so glad that I've seen you know Christ in you just purpose in your heart to remain with the Lord, to remain with the Lord. And so when we look at different descriptions for Barnabas, not only is he described as, you know, by his nickname as an encourager, but uh, it says um, uh, that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And that same description was used, or pretty similar description, was used of Stephen and then the other deacons that were uh, kind of chosen in Acts chapter 6. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith. And I think it's kind of an interesting tie-in that when they say he's full of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus referred to as this encourager, that he has the same attitude, that he is basically just reflecting Christ um, and, you, you know, basically allowing the Holy Spirit to work in him as he encourages others. And that same word that it says that he exhorted them to do that, that actually is the same word to be encouraged. To He encouraged them. That's uh, parakaleo, which is the same word that was used to describe who he was. He was just encouraging them to remain faithful. And so he comes up and he sees what's going on. The report is confirmed. He tells them to stay faithful. Now, does he go back to Jerusalem? He's like, I was sent up here to find out if it's true. It's true. Check. I'm going back. No. That's not what happens, right? Where does actually, where does he go? He does leave them, but he goes where? To find Paul, right? And, get, and what city does he go to? Tarsus. To Tarsus, right? That was the last time we saw, uh, at when Barnabas kind of uh, stuck up for Saul. He went and he preached, uh, you know, out uh, You know, in Jerusalem, started to grab you know some uh, attention from some of the outsiders, and they they said, you know what? Uh, (laughs) Crowds are starting to to gather. I want you to 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 go, and so they sent him on a boat up to Tarsus, and that was really the last that we had heard of Saul. And so Tarsus is the capital of the Roman province Cilicia. It received special privileges under the Emperor Pompey in 67 BC. and uh, under the emperor Augustus, uh, they had uh, certain provisions where they sometimes they didn't have to pay taxes. Um, Augustus had a friend that uh, lived in Tarsus, so he said, you know, you guys don't have to pay taxes. It's kind of a nice uh, side benefit. Uh, it also became a hotbed for philosophers, for Stoic philosophers. So there's kind of this intellectual hotbed, um, as well as uh, some political clout, uh, a capital of that province, um, and Jews were also allowed to become Roman citizens at that time, which will end up kind of becoming a big deal uh, later on, when we actually see in, in Saul's life um, later on in Acts. So, why do you think he wanted to go see Saul? Why well, go up there? It says he went. He went to Tarsus. He went to go grab Saul, and he brought him back. Why do you think? Why do you think he he wanted to go up there? What's that? Okay. Uh, he's, he's actually stronger than I am when it comes down to a, a life story. Okay. Yeah, so strength in numbers uh, would, be, would be a good way, right? You know, Barnabas in his heart, and we're going to see that that's exactly what happens, is that he doesn't go back to Jerusalem. He has in his mind, you know what? Um, so we, need to, we need to stay and we need to do a work here in Antioch. And he immediately thinks, I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to help me. Just so, John? Yeah, I think it goes deeper than that. That's how we're the, the real issue is special property. Okay. True, true. Now, but you think Barnabas, in, you, know, you know, God uses those things, but I think Barnabas, right, had some, had some tangible things he's thinking of, right? And the Lord probably pressed upon him, Barnabas, like, this is a great guy, to one, go to help you out. Why him? Why, why Saul? What was the, What was the special providence that we saw happen earlier? What was the last interaction that we saw between those two? <laughs> oh you might you might have come in late. We did we did a we did a review of that. That's all right. We we reviewed that right at the beginning. Uh, so I think I think you stepped in just after that. What was uh what, what was the last time we saw their interaction? Was what? Paul was spreading the gospel. He was preaching and everybody was still afraid of him,
1: but Barnabas knew that that Paul was obviously touched by God.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he wanted to use he wanted him to, have, to help him because
1: and Paul wasn't afraid to preach uh, God wherever
0: he was. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't
1: necessarily want to go back to Turkey,
0: but he was told by the elders of the church to go back. Yeah. And, they were the dynamic duo. <laughs> and they and they they would be. I mean, but but their first meeting was their first uh, I don't know meeting. I guess we say that. But the first encounter that we see in Scripture is really Barnabas sticking up for Saul and be like. I saw him, this is what he said, you know, and because he stuck up for him, it kind of immediately had some sort of bond between those two. Um, And then even though Saul went back, and and again, we don't know that Saul ever made it back and interactions, I imagine, imagine that, you know, we know that Barnabas is from Cyprus, (laughs) that he had made his way back, um, uh, probably back to, to that area at different times, which wouldn't have been too far from Tarsus, but we don't know if he kept in touch or anything like that, but, but what we do know is that first interaction that there was something between them, that he stuck up for Saul, but he also understood his boldness, that he wasn't afraid to go preach. <laughs> he wasn't afraid that like crowds gather around him. He wasn't afraid to be like tossed in the middle of chaos, um, and we know that that will be kind of who Paul is like through the rest of his ministry. Like He will go out there, and people will attack him, and he will get up, and he will continue to persevere. We also know um, if you, we know well, we'll know a little bit uh, as we get further along about what Saul's background was, but that he is he was very knowledgeable in the word. So not only is he bold, but he's knowledgeable, um, and uh, you know he's also got the background for it. He's got not only the Jewish background, which, I mean, I, again, I don't think Barnabas is thinking about all these things, but when he's thinking about, like, who could I have somebody help me? Like, this is a great guy. I don't think he was chicken off all these credentials. But we're going to see in special providence how they came together, but also special providence about what they're going to do. But Barnabas is like, I just need somebody to help me. And this is a great guy. He's underutilized because he kind of was like, why don't you go back to Tarsus? We don't know what he did. The only thing that was mentioned of um, in Galatians was um, – that he had uh, traveled into this is in Galatians one twenty one that he visited Syria and Cilicia and so Syria was the uh, was Antioch uh, where Antioch was was in Syria and Cilicia is where Tarsus was so we don't know if he's talking back that he had traveled in that time or the events that we know um, from when he went to uh, Antioch and when he went up to Tarsus, if he's kind of lumping that in. But five years had elapsed since that time that Barnabas and them sent them off, sent him off. So it's been eight years since he's been converted, five years that maybe he's kind of laying dormant, you know, in a sense. Um, not, you know, not sure exactly what he's doing up there, but Barnabas is like, you know what? We need him. You know, the Lord has, has uh, definitely um, built him up. We know that the three years since he was converted and then went to Jerusalem, that he went to Arabia, and he talked about the Lord personally ministering to him and uh, teaching him, and so that he had grown in knowledge. Um, but he is just an unutilized resource uh, that Barnabas is going to tap into. So he goes up. Grab somebody, you know, could have been just as shallow as somebody to help him in his work, or it could be something more. Like, I think, that, I think God could really use him. I, we don't know what Barnabas was thinking, but he goes up there and he gets him and they come back, and what do they do? When they come back to Antioch. It so says they did what? Preach and taught for a year, right? They met with the people, and they taught for an entire year. Now, it's pretty amazing that... Um, that they said, hey, I want you to go up, Barnabas, and I want you to just check out what's going on. And he's like, all right, I'm going out there to check out what's going on. And he's like, I need to stay. I need to stay. And he devotes an entire year. And the same thing, he goes up to to Saul, and he says, I want you to come back. And Saul dedicated an entire year to build into these people and to what Christ was doing here in this city. Again, this important city, this kind of... uh, you know, uh, um, over 500,000 people lived in Antioch. Uh, would have been a, a big hotbed for travel, people coming down from Turkey to go down to Jerusalem. Far enough away from Jerusalem that it just wouldn't have taken a visit. You know, a couple of days it would have been, you know, half a month's journey to to travel up there. Um, and so Barnabas is, stays, Saul stays and uh, taught the people for a year. It's kind of interesting. Luke kind of has this throw-in. He says, "For for a year, they met with the church and taught a great many people." And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Kind of like you know, kind of a side note. So that term "Christian" is kind of interesting. You know, this is what a lot of people refer to themselves today as. Um, what what do they? Do you remember what they kind of refer to themselves as beforehand? What's that? So yeah, followers. Uh, sometimes the. The way, yeah, sometimes just the brothers and sisters, you know, in those terms. But now, they're called Christians, which would have been a uh, term to... Um, from the outside, and it means belonging to Christ. And so this isn't what they would have called themselves. It would have been a a term of identity that somebody from the outside would have been said, like, oh, you guys are Christians. Uh, you know, oh, okay, you go to that church or you, you know, went to that school. Um, being a part of that group identifies you with that particular group. And so, People from the outside would have said, oh, you're the ones who are the, you know, belong to Christ. You are those who are, um, you know, a part of, uh, that group. And so now we're starting to see in Antioch that outsiders are starting to recognize a distinction between this group, because for, for some parts in history, uh, in the early church, that there was little distinction between Jews, you know, especially from a Gentile, from Jews and Christians. It was just kind of like Christians were a, you know, just a, another sect of Judaism. But now they're, they're kind of being referred to in this way, that they, are, they belong to Christ because that is who, uh, they're, who they worship, who their master is, who their Lord is, and how they, they're being identified with this. So why do you think, why do you think God had, had uh, orchestrated all of these, th- these things to happen? Especially with uh, the interaction between Barnabas and Saul. To spend a year there in Antioch. What do you think God is doing? To prepare them for missions. Okay, to prepare them for missions. In some way, they're prepared just to like get up and leave their t- you know the, the cities that they've been a part of for the last five, you know, plus years to go to another city uh, that I'm sure they had traveled through, they'd probably spent time in as they traveled through. Um, but now I want you to set camp here. And I and, and I want you to recognize the need, and your need is. I'm starting you out with a group of people who are responding to Christ, and I just want you to pour into them and to disciple them. And so uh, so God is going to, to help them to be teachers, help them to be disciplers, um, help them to move out of their hometowns and to now start to become a little bit more mobile um, and to have that mentality that they can go somewhere else. And then later we're going to see actually Antioch... Um, you know, I, I kind of refer to this, they didn't refer to this, but Antioch kind of becomes their home church. Uh, we always see when they come back from traveling, they always stop in Antioch um, in their travels. And so I think in their, their minds, they, refer, they kind of consider this place a little bit of their home. Not where they, they grew up or not where they spent most of their lives. But this is kind of the place where they, that they resonate with because they'll stop there and they'll have these interactions with the people in Antioch um, here or there. And so the Lord is kind of setting this base. What we're going to see in a couple chapters, other events have to, have to transpire for them to launch out. And really, what the rest of the book of Acts is about is spreading the gospel um, all over parts of the Roman Empire to go into these Gentile lands and spread the news of Christ. So we see one other event happen in verse 27. It says, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Okay, so we're introduced to a new person. His name was Agabus. What does it say? Who, who is Agabus? A prophet. a prophet. And where does he come from? Jerusalem. From Jerusalem. All right, so he's sent from Jerusalem. Now, what do you make of the fact that it says that prophets came up from Jerusalem to Antioch? So we're we're assuming that a year has transpired because he met with him for a year. Now prophets are starting to come to Antioch. So what do you make of that? God's uh, providence, God's blessing on the people in Antioch. Okay. Right. Well, so not only that, like, hey, I am sending this this particular prophet to give this word, but it said that there are prophets that came from Jerusalem to Antioch. It's a three hundred mile journey, so what what do we what do we kind of are starting to see about Antioch? Yeah, so it becomes a kind of an important place that, okay, like, you know, let's send people up there. Let's continue. Now, sending prophets to another city uh, would also indicate what? That the church in Jerusalem is now has Antioch on their radar, that we want to send people there for what purpose? Why do you send people to other churches? To yeah, to strengthen them, to, to be an encouragement to them. In particular, those that have this gift of, of prophecy. So let's kind of pause, because whenever we see that, that term prophecy, um, I want to see how, how it's kind of used in this, in this context. Um, so turn to 1 Corinthians 4, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And Paul, in uh, writing to the Corinthian church, is, you know, again, the, the Corinthian church had a lot of a lot of different things that they, they had questions about, they had issues over. And so Paul kind of goes through in all these chapters and addresses particular things. Well, starting in chapter 12, he starts talking about uh, spiritual gifts. And it seems like the, the Corinthians were wanting, uh, were either promoting or, you know, uh, highlighting or uh, idolizing those who had this gift of speaking in tongues. And, uh, you know, we saw that whenever God had kind of come to a new group that the spirit was poured out on them and that the people spoke in tongues and that was a sign for others, uh, one to hear the gospel in their own language, um, which is kind of how it would be used later on, uh, as kind of more of utilitarian. Um, but more so that it was a sign that, Hey, God is working in these people's lives. Um, and that now the gospel is spreading to this new people group. So chapter 14, verse 1 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, so then some people stop and say, like, oh, okay, does that mean that I should then pursue this gift of prophecy? Now, when we see Agabus in his gift of prophecy, he was prophesying that something is going to happen. And so the gift of prophecy is either declare, is declaring a word of God. And prophecy can either be used for declaring the word of God that has been spoken. So when somebody goes up and preaches, they are prophesying, speaking the word of God to the people that God had already spoken. Or that God was giving insight um, into uh, what is going to happen and was giving his word to certain people for particular use, uh, really to strengthen the churches and to, again to confirm, yeah, God is working in your midst. Um, we are encouraged by the word of God. We are encouraged by other people. That was just one other way to encourage. And we're going to see that. That's why I wanted to go to this chapter. So verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And then he goes on and talks a little bit more. So what was kind of the purpose of, purpose of prophecy at this time? It was to... Build up, yeah, and he uses that word, encourage, right? And so we see this kind of like all these things happening within this kind of small framework. But that's what the whole point of prophecy was: was to encourage the church. So this is a word from God that I'm giving you to encourage the church. Now, what did he say? What was this word that Agabus uh, spoke to the people that what was going to happen? That there was going to be a famine. Now, why is that an encouragement? They're going to lose weight. They're going to lose. <laughs> Well, it's it's like
1: it's a a kindness of God to say, "Hey, there's a famine coming. You need to gather your extra crops in, and you know stuff like that." Just like you know, in the times of Joseph, God was kind enough to tell uh, Pharaoh with by the dreams that there's going to be huge famine. You know,
0: and you all need to gather all your extra um, grain for the coming years. So it's really kindness of God to say, hey, it's coming. Careful. Yeah, and so so um, there are different historians, Tacitus and Josephus and Suetonius. They all attest to a famine in A.D. 45 through 46. Claudius, it says in the time of Claudius, Claudius ruled from 41 to 54. So there was a great famine that kind of hit right in the middle of Claudius' reign. Uh, that Agabus, when he foretold this, actually you know came came to be. Now um, it says that it was going to happen in uh, well, it says all over the world. What was the response of of the church? They gave. What's that? They
1: they gathered and they gave to the
0: people in Judea. Yeah. So so it's kind of interesting that like way up in Antioch, hey, this there's a famine that's coming, and in their hearts and their minds, they, they say, Well, how can we prepare? How can we help? How can we give to the church in order, you know, uh in order for them to strengthen those that are still in Judea um, that are going to be hit during this time? So um why would God do this? Why would God do this? Okay so one it draws them together now who does it who's it drawing together two churches Okay yeah so you've got you've got actually you've got probably two aspects one you've got locally that church has now this like kind of mindset and goal like how can we give to this other church. And we know that, like, if there's something like, you know, hey, let's support this missionary, well, it might draw us together as a church to say, well, what are some needs that we can fill? Like, I'll give this need, and I'll give this, and, you know, if somebody, again, it's like somebody has a baby, and it's like, hey, let's bring meals. It was kind of a coordination effort to say, like, how can we help bless this family uh, in a particular way? So it draws that one church together, but then and more importantly also then draws these two churches together in Judea, which is that heavily Jewish population who maybe still be you know might be like you know Gentiles are hearing the word of God. You know again, there's still probably some of that for some you know that kind of and we, we know that be, I can I can kind of say it with confidence because we'll see that happen later on. It's not like the Gentiles are still like given open arms by everybody who who says that they are a follower of Christ. There's still some that are like yeah, but they, they still need to do some of these things in order to kind of be, a, be fully, you know, a part of the church. But this will draw them together because they're like, how can we help, you know, the, of anything, the Gentiles are like, how can we help the Jews? And the Jews are kind of in this position of like, well, we're the ones who are supposed to take care of ourselves, right? And so it will draw them together and strengthen the two churches uh, in this way. And it also, kind of as a final measure you know so they have this money that they want to give who's going to, who's going to go deliver the money Paul and Barnabas. okay yeah so Paul and Barnabas are are going to go down and so it says that they went the elders came they handed it to Paul and Barnabas and so now we've got this kind of like Saul and Barnabas are being sent out on this little mini-mission, right, to go, like, just deliver money. It's a pretty, you know, again, there were dangers that they had to kind of kind of uh, be aware of, but they had a particular goal in mind. Well, the next time that they send them out is going to be like, I want you to go spread the gospel wherever you go. Good luck, you know. Uh, not just good luck, but, um, you know, there's a lot more, like, unknowns about where they're going and how, how it's all going to happen. But this is kind of something that, like, is drawing those two closer together, sent on a mission. They're going to go and talk with the um, leaders in Jerusalem. And so they're going to build that rapport, which we're going to see in chapter 15, um, when they go back and they have to talk about this issue that kind of builds up. And we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but it's a... It's a Jewish Gentile issue. And so um, all of these things that God is going to use, and He uses it through this famine, right? You know, famines you know, kind of happened every once in a while. We know that it happens in history. Other things happen. But how can God kind of do, you know, accomplish many purposes through this one thing, which we would initially say would be something that's very discouraging? right? And we talked about, you know, news of some a health issue or, you know, something that will make you late or whatever. It can be very discouraging on the outset, but this famine, which would have been discouraging to hear, like if, if somebody said, hey, you're going to be unemployed for a year or, you know, something like that, you probably wouldn't be like, yes, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, you would probably take that and first as you internalize it would be, it'd be a discouraging thing, right, to think about. But on the flip side, and for them, they're, they're continually see the hand of God work, as, you know, as it was mentioned that they, you know, God continually shows how He is, uh, working in our lives, that it forces us to go back and say, reframe it and say, well, how is God, how is God gonna use this, uh, for His glory? And He uses this in His glory, like, they don't know that the people in Antioch are, are gonna, like, send money to them. You know, they don't know what's gonna happen. They might be just preparing in their own, own way. Um, but the Lord is going to u- you know, use these things to kind of pull them together. So if we kind of step back and summarize, you know, all these things that, and what we see and what we happen, um, the main people that we see in this you know this kind of section as we finish up chapter eleven are Barnabas, Saul, and Agabus. Now they're in Antioch when we see most of them, but are they from Antioch? Yeah. No. So God is using these people kind of from the outside with different backgrounds and different temperaments and different personalities and different gifts to come and to pour into the people, the believers in Antioch. And so what are the things they did? They encouraged them, they taught them, they met with them, they discipled them, they organized, you know, it's kind of relief fund and and kind of did all these things to, to kind of pull those things together. And those are tangible ways that God used individuals to pour into the church, so as I kind of want to like stop us and kind of think about you know that we we so know how um, especially if we're going through kind of maybe like a tough time when somebody who just happens to say you know I don't know you're on my heart or you're on my mind and just said like I just thought about you like some of those like small things can be an encouragement to others like we value them at those times um, but sometimes we don't think how can I be an encouragement. To others, and so as we kind of stop and think, like, man, the Lord was totally using these people in this particular way, and I see how God's hand had had even a bigger purpose in mind um, through that. How can we be an encouragement to others? Because we face so much opposition, whether it's really opposition or not. Traffic's really not opposition, right? It's a blessing. You get more time to yourself, I don't know, more time to pray, more time to, (laughs) more time, whatever, you know, so we can try to reframe those things, uh, in a way that honors God, but also, how can we then kind of turn that and say, how can I be encouragement to others, and I know for myself, that's just something I've been, like, continually just thinking about, because, um, I don't know. For myself, that's something that I would like to just continue. Some people are natural encouragers, but some people have to work at it a little bit more. And so that's something that hopefully we can all try to work on being better encouragers to one another because it builds us up, right? And that's something that all throughout Scripture uh, the Lord asks us to do to one another. John, pray. Pray. Asking the Lord. You know, telling me? around. So pray. James. Yeah. Jay. You have not because you ask not. Know, I mean, the Lord is a trapped director of it all. Yeah, the Lord is a trap. <laughs> yeah, and and He's, uh, I mean, it's Second Chronicle sixteen nine all over again. Okay. So the eyes of the Lord search the earth, roaming to and fro, looking for the hearts of men that are willing to serve Him, so that He might strengthen them. But to pray and ask the Lord just to help you to be a blessing to those around you—it's mm-hmm. amazing how it works. Amen. Spacey. If your name's Johnny Roden from Badlands, forgot.
1: Uh, praying for the express lane to be finished soon.
0: Okay, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's more more practical, more practical, but.
1: it's an opportunity for thankfulness that you get from point A to point B without getting killed. Okay.
0: To slow things down, right? To slow things down. <laughs> It can be yeah, because we 're not alone in facing discouragement, right I mean, the whole world like they're he- you know, again, like this, uh, headlong into discouraging factors, right, uh, especially if your Lord is not Jesus, it's yourself, um, the world is a very discouraging place. Uh, so that that also, and you know I I'd kind of prepared for this, and i didn 't even go into this, like I looked up like all the word, all the times that you know comfort and encouragement and those words are used, uh, but often in that context, the Lord uses kind of his future uh, rule and reign as an encouragement to us because we know in the end uh, the Lord wins, which is a good transition to revelation so uh, i 'll dismiss you guys there if you guys have any other questions or comments directed toward each other and encourage one another.